It's great to be with you, and what a wonderful presentation of those children. That was just fantastic. Wow. Um, yeah, I know my wife would have been really, she's not with me today, and, uh, and she would have really enjoyed that. Um, as I was introduced last week, I've been part of Heritage College and Seminary uh, for about 43 years now. I started teaching when I was in, when I was, I was, <laughs> I started teaching when I was 28 years old, and uh, uh, in 1978. So I was just a young kid, but and I've been part of the the journey of uh, what was then London Baptist Bible College and Seminary, and Central Baptist Seminary in Toronto, and then the merger in uh, 1993 of the two schools to form Heritage. And you folks have been a vital part of that school, of our school. Uh, you've been supportive financially. Um, I've already met a couple of you who have been my former students, and you have you've been very you've been very much part of, of what we've been doing, and and of course uh, uh, your pastor Steve was a prof at the school, and uh, very much appreciated by our students and a good friend of mine. Um, as a result of many many years of serving the Lord, um, God has bring brought us to a point where he is showing us some very special blessing. And as a result of that, um, we are now engaged in a capital project of building an, a distinct building for the graduate program, for the seminary. We have an undergraduate and a graduate program. Undergraduate is bachelor's degrees, graduate programs and master's degrees. And we've always kind of blended the two, but God has given us some grace to allow us to uh, focus and, and build a building that would, f that would uh, house the seminary in particular. So I'd like to show you just a quick video of uh, what that, uh, a little bit of what that's about. You'll hear our president, Dr. Reed, talk, and then uh, I'll make a couple of comments afterwards and then, and then proceed into a message for the morning. In a bold move of vision and faith, Heritage purchased this piece of property 20 years ago, believing that one day it would be needed. That day has come. Over the past decade, Heritage Theological Seminary has doubled in size and we've outgrown our facilities. God keeps sending to us men and women who want to know His Word and serve His church. They come to us in order to be prepared as pastors, missionaries, and ministry leaders. I came to this seminary to grow and develop in my giftings of communicating and handling God's Word with diligence and excellence. I came to Heritage Seminary because they provided me with manageable goals for my current season of life. I came to Heritage Theological Seminary because I was convinced that a truly excellent theological education is rightly taught by experts in their fields who simultaneously love and serve the local church. The things that I learned here at Heritage have become invaluable to my ministry. The Graduate Certificate for Women in Ministry provides women like me with much needed biblical training who are already serving in ministry. Heritage has become a go-to seminary for those who want to be trained to serve Christ and His Church. Now is the time to build a dedicated home to advance the mission of the seminary. The new seminary building will be more than a building. It will be a ministry hub for Canada and the nations. 
The building will have state-of-the-art connected classrooms. Students will be able to come on campus to learn in community and to connect with our faculty. Those at a distance, across Canada and around the world, will be able to join online to receive solid biblical and ministry training. In addition to classrooms, the new seminary building will provide a variety of inviting spaces for personal study and for conversations over coffee. There will be a fireside room and a great hall for large gatherings. We're also including a global outreach center that will be a catalyst to help students, pastors, and churches engage in local evangelism, cross-cultural outreach, and global missions. This building will be a resource for our growing seminary, for local churches, and for Christian ministries. We're inviting you to help see the vision that began decades ago become a reality in our day. This is the place, now is the time. Join us to enlarge, extend, and expand the impact of Heritage Theological Seminary for Canada and the nations. Thank you for allowing me to show that. I checked with your church leadership to, uh, to uh, let that happen. So thank you for allowing us to show you that and uh, see, uh, let you see a little bit of what's going on at the seminary. As I said, I've been part of this thing for about 43 years and to come to this point and to see this kind of thing happen is, uh, brings great warmth to my soul. And the tragic part of it is this was very much part of Dr. Fowler's vision. And Dr. Fowler and I were very much kind of the faces of the seminary for many, many years. And uh, he knows all about it. I, I visited with him, told him about uh, what's going on and that kind of thing. I, I don't know whether he's actually seen this video. He may very well have, but um, uh, it's, it's kind of sad that he, uh, he can't be an active part of, uh, of seeing this happen. It is a, it is a significant uh, financial investment. Uh, we're looking at about $14 million to, uh, to finish this project. Uh, the interesting and joyful thing about this is we've got about 11 and a half of that million already uh, committed. And so we're well ahead, and we, we, so we have a little bit more to raise. And, um, and <laughs> I'm the chairman of the, uh, I'm the, chair of the uh, Capital Campaign Committee. So if you want to talk to me afterwards, I'd be more than happy to chat with you. But uh, God has been showing us some really great favor, and we're, we're blessed. It, it, as, as we said in the video, uh, the seminary has doubled in size in the last 10 years. We're running close to 200 students in the seminary, we're running about 150, 175 in the college. But, uh, so we're seeing some really good things happen, and, um, and uh, we're excited about what, uh, what God has for us. Uh, in the in the days to come and again, I say thank you uh, to you as a church uh, You've been very much part of the uh, of the ministry of, of heritage over the years and we we deeply deeply uh, appreciate it Let's just have a word of prayer Heavenly Father as we come before you now and seek to open your word Lord, I pray that you would give us a new sense and a fresh sense of your, of your beauty, your power, your presence, um, your grace, all the things that we 
so uh, extol and, and, and bless and worship in who you are and especially in this time of reflection on uh, the mass of grace shown in the incarnation. So I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we open your word, as we look at a text that hopefully will stir our souls, that we would come to see you more clearly, be encouraged by the gospel, be challenged uh, with the implications of what some of these things mean, and respond in a way that would bring glory to yourself. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Years ago, the author, uh, J.B. Phillips, wrote a fanciful tale about Jesus, uh, uh, about Jesus coming to earth. It's a story of an elder angel uh, showing a younger angel the splendors of the universe. And so this elder angel shows this younger angel the, the billions and billions of stars and the, and the whirling galaxies and light traveling, light traveling at the speed of light, amazing, overwhelming, awesome, silencing. And then they came to one galaxy with about 500 billion stars. And Phillips writes in his story, as the two of them drew near to the star, which we call our sun, and to its circling planets, the senior angel pointed to a small and rather insignificant sphere turning very slowly on its axis. It looked tiny to the little angel, and whose mind was filled with the size and glory of what he had just seen. I want you to watch that one particularly, said the senior angel, pointing with his finger. Well, it looks really small to me, said the little angel. What is so special about that one? And the senior angel told him what had happened. Their prince, their god, had visited that small and insignificant planet and had become one of its inhabitants as a baby in a barn to a couple of Galilean peasants. Do you mean that our great and glorious prince went down in person to this fifth-rate little ball? Why would he do such a thing? And the little, face, little angel's face wrinkled in disgust. Do you mean to tell me, he said, that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures on that floating ball? I do. And I don't think that he would like you to call them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. Because of his love for them, he went down to visit them, to lift them up, to become like him. And Phillips writes, the little angel looked blank. Such a thought was almost beyond his comprehension. Today we focus on the Advent candle of love. Love. 
And yes, it is beyond comprehension. God with a skin face. Deity through the funnel of the kenosis. By the way, that's a theological term that Dr. Stan Fowler would use. A funnel with an infinite mouth and a microscopic spout. The creator becoming part of the creation out of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so in the, mad rush of Chris, uh, of the, in the mad rush of Christmas, and we as God's people are always in great danger of losing the sense of awe and wonder that Christmas is all about. We're in great danger of losing the sense of the love of God that caused it in the first place. And that beautiful Getty song that we just sang captures that so well. We're constantly being exhorted to slow down, reflect deeply on what Christmas is all about. And so I want to try and help with that a little bit this morning. There's a verse in the New Testament that helps me year after year to kind of just stop, think, reflect. And the verse is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. If you've got a Bible, you can find it in your Bible. If you've got a phone, you want to look it up. Um, if you want to get it in front of you, but I'll read it to you. And uh, this is a verse that kind of prepares me for Christmas. It kind of gets me ready to think about what's going on in this season. John chapter 1, John chapter 1 verse 14. Familiar verse. Most of us know it well. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That word, of course, is none other than Jesus of Nazareth. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. As I read that verse and I go back to that verse time and time again, this text, bathed in the love of God, there are four words emerge that I hang my thoughts on that I think this verse draws out four familiar words and I like it because there are words that I can remember as I think about where we are right now in the year and the season that we're in the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth and the first word that strikes me is the first line of the verse the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us the word is humility from infinity to a microscopic speck one obscure planet among billions and billions of suns and their planets. From heaven to a stable, from deity to humanity. Mary Ellen Ashcroft in an article in Christianity Today wrote, God stripped off his finery and appeared, how embarrassing, naked. 
on the day that he was born. God rips off medals of rank and puts aside titles and honors and talents and appears in his birthday suit. Kings and queens today live and travel in splendor and wealth. Politicians and CEOs get the perks and the privileges. Power and wealth are endlessly portrayed, paraded before us as the epitome of successful and happy lives. Augustine, the famous church father of the fourth century, wrote, Maker of the sun, he is made under the sun. In the father he remains, from his mother he comes forth. Creator of heaven and earth, he was born on earth under heaven. Unspeakably wise, he is wisely speechless. Filling the world, he lies in a manger. Ruler of the stars, he nurses at his mother's bosom. He is both great in, in the nature of God and small in the form of a servant. The king, creator, and redeemer of the universe comes to us in humility and meekness to seek and to save those who are lost. He comes in meekness and humility to provide a way to be, for us to become citizens of his kingdom. And this is the gospel. This is the good news. But the challenge here is this. He calls on his followers to do the same. To be people of humility and meekness like he was and is. Remember the words of, the, of that first century worship song recorded by the Apostle Paul that was evidently sung in the first century church? Who, being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the form of a servant, and he humbled himself become, become, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And while we know that beautiful song, we know that beautiful poem that was read, sung in the first century church, do we remember Paul's admonition before he even wrote those words? This is what Paul wrote. In your relationships with one another, let this mind be in you as it was in Christ Jesus. So yes, the opening line of our verse in John 1.14 points to humility, Christ's humility, and we value that. We worship God because of that. But as I said, it brings challenge. Brings challenge. I am called to the same if I am going to claim to be a follower of this Jesus. And it makes me think through one more time my citizenship in his kingdom of meekness and humility. And so the first word, humility. First word to kind of hang our thoughts on from this text. But then the next line, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. You know, it's interesting that the shepherds were overwhelmed with wonder. The magi with their gifts were overwhelmed with wonder. 
Uh, John, who was writing decades after the, after the, the birth of Christ, He's reflecting on his time with Jesus and, and the, his three years of life with Jesus. And uh, he's reflecting on the miracles and he's reflecting on the transfiguration. He, he's reflecting on, on, on Christ's life and, and the resurrection and the ascension. And he says, we beheld his glory, we saw his glory. He's reflecting on Christ's glory as he, as he saw all of that, as he experienced it in person. And so my second word is the word amazement. Amazement at his glory. We have seen his glory. All those things that John experienced in his life with Christ. The glory of the one and only son. Amazement. You know, sometimes the stories get old. I don't know about you, (laughs) but they get really familiar. We've heard them so many times. We're saturated with the carols and the crushes in the malls. We love a children's play like this, and it's so enjoyable to see the kids and, and focus on Jesus as the, as the center of this whole thing. But for some of us, and probably most of us, at times we, we lose our amazement at Christ's glory, a miraculous birth to a virgin named Mary, and a life filled with the evidence of the glory of God. And it it becomes so familiar, especially to those of us who have been around these stories for years and years. There's a wonderful scene in C.S. Lewis's Prince Caspian Lucy has come, along, come, a, come across Oslan in the shadows. And, and as she comes up to him, she rushes up to him, and, and, and she says to Oslan, Oslan, you're bigger. <laughs> Oslan replies, that's because you're older, little one. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you find me bigger. What a fabulous line. Every year that we grow, we find God bigger. And friends, I I really hope we have not stopped growing Whether we're a newbie in the faith or a veteran of decades of belief, that year after year as we rehearse, oh, the so familiar Christmas story, we are amazed more and more at his glory, the glory of the one and only Son of God. So, Two words to hang our hats on. The first one is humility. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The second one is amazement. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. The third word is the word grace. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace 
you know, the, the fact that, 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 that Jesus, the Son of God, came to redeem us for his kingdom. Folks, I, I really hope we get, we get a grip on this. That Jesus, the Son of God, came to redeem us for his kingdom. This is, a, this is purely favor and blessing, grace that we never earned or never merited. Let me say that again. That Jesus, the Son of God, came to redeem us for his kingdom. This is purely an act of favor and blessing, grace that we never earned or never merited. In the, in the book or the movie, whatever you've read or seen, uh, Christmas with the Cranks, I don't know whether you've seen that. I'm sure many of you have or read the book, read the story. Tim Allen has decided not to celebrate Christmas because their daughter would not be home for Christmas. Rather, they would spend their money on a cruise. And the story is all about the ins and outs of, of that decision. And he has a neighbor across the street, and let's say they, um, what do White saw kind of say, they dislike each other, rather strongly dislike each other. But they've just found out that his wife is dying with cancer. And at the last moment, the cranks find out that their daughter is actually coming home after all, and so there is this mad scramble to get everything ready. But further to that, their cruise is now wiped out, and they have two tickets that are bought and paid for. And the most touching and redeeming part of the story is when Tim Allen goes across the street, twice, actually, before he, can, he is able to do it, and he gives his neighbor and his dying wife the tickets for the cruise. And the tears well up as we watch the moment transformed by grace and gratitude. And folks, we have received grace beyond imagination. Grace that has redeemed us from the kingdom of darkness, darkness and made us citizens of the kingdom of God's dear Son. That grace is overwhelming. It is silencing. It is mind-blanking. Like that little angel, we find ourselves speechless. And two responses emerge. Gratitude. Unending gratitude. Thankfulness expressed in gleeful and worshipful obedience and servanthood. But then secondly, grace extending. As we have received grace, so we are called to extend grace. Grace and kindness and mercy and forgiveness become the operative words of the Christian faith. And so as John writes this text to his church audience rooted in the overwhelming love of God, we see humility. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We see amazement. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. We have seen grace, who came from the Father, full of grace. But there's one final word, and perhaps it rules all the others. And it's the word belief. 
The verse ends with, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Truth to be believed. In a couple of verses earlier, John writes, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he, be, he gave the right to become the children of God. The fourth word that I hang my thoughts on as I come to this text is the word belief. And belief for me. Now you might think it's rather strange that I would bring up the word belief in a congregation and a church that I'm sure most of us here are believers. But there's something I have learned in my 40 plus years of ministry, both in the church and the academy, and it's this Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. David Roper said that we need to be evangelized every day. I don't know about you, but things happen to us and others and cause us to struggle with doubt and its connection to faith and belief. Eugene Peterson writes, experience arrives randomly. Jack, grief, and Jill, pain tumble over one another down the same hillside. Doubt and faith are in a wrestling match. First one on top and then the other in shifting supremacies. And that's why we have the book of Psalms. We sing of trust. We sing of of praise. We sing of thanksgiving. but But we sing of lament. Lament where doubt can be brought into worship and renewed in faith. I just had lunch yesterday with two friends and two of my former colleagues who have ceased to believe. One is now a self-proclaimed atheist and the other an agnostic. And they illustrate to me that the danger of losing faith and belief is very real and very present. One of them asked me point blank yesterday at lunch, do you still believe in that stuff? <laughs> and I assured him and I assure you that I did. And I saw the scorn on his face. And so regularly and daily and routinely and passionately, I believe. I choose to believe. Better, God gives me grace to believe. So I believe the stories of Christmas told by Matthew and Luke. I believe the stories of Christ in the Gospels and throughout the New Testament. And frankly, you know what? I'm not worried about the data behind the stories the number of magi, the place of the shepherd's field, what the stable looked like, was it a cave, a shed, a barn? These are historical matters of curiosity and I think for most part diversion. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Truth to be believed in, both in what he taught and what he did and the actuality of his birth, life, death, resurrection and ascension as written and recorded in the sacred scriptures. 
And as I believe and continue to believe, two things happen. One, my faith is renewed and refreshed. I'm evangelized every day. And even after I came home from that lunch yesterday and and my wife Lorraine asked me how the lunch went because she knew where I was going and she knew the situation that I was getting myself into. She said, how to go? And I told her, and I told her about the conversations and that kind of thing. And then I said, all this did was strengthen my faith and affirm what I believe is true. I never want to become like them. So I'm evangelized every day. I choose to believe God gives me the grace to believe. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Truth to be believed. First thing then, my faith is refreshed and renewed every day. The second thing is I am energized to share with others out of freshness and newness of everyday belief and faith. It's not out of the staleness and sterility of a faith and a belief that dates to a decision or a date in a Bible decades ago. I share that today out of a living, dynamic faith that has been renewed this very day. And I say to anyone, out of that dynamic faith, if you've never believed, today is the day, a great day to believe. As followers of Christ, we are called to believe, a new and fresh belief each day to be evangelized in the Christ of Bethlehem, who is full of grace and truth. There's a beautiful story recounted every Christmas in southern France about four shepherds who came to Bethlehem to see the child. One brought eggs, another bread and cheese, a third wine. The fourth brought nothing at all. And the fourth is called L'Enchante, the enchanted one. And the first three chat with Mary and Joseph commenting on how well Mary looks and how cozy is the cave and how handsomely Joseph had appointed it and what a beautiful starlight night it was. And they congratulate the parents and present their gifts. And finally someone asks, where is L'Enchante? And they search high and low and up and down and inside out. And finally, someone peeks through the blanket hung to protect the child from the draft. And there, kneeling at the crib, is Le Enchante. And throughout the night, he remains in adoration. Jesu, Jesu, Jesu. L'Enchante overwhelmed by God's love in sending his son. And out of that spirit of worship, we hear the Apostle John point us to humility, God becoming human, and the implication, as this was the mind of Christ, so it must be ours. Amazement at his glory, and with Lucy, that amazement growing in a God who does not get bigger, but as we get older, we see him bigger. Grace, 
Grace received with gratitude and grace extended often to the most ungracious and belief. We sing again and again in our churches. Thou didst leave thy throne in thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home, in Bethlehem's home, there was found no room for thy holy nativity. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There's room in my heart for thee. God bless you all.